Give us one hour and we'll help you change the way you think about happiness. Harvesting happiness with Lisa Cypress Kamen is fresh, optimistic, and purpose-driven talk radio that promotes happiness from the inside out. Each week, Lisa spotlights trendsetters and change agents who offer sound emotional fitness tips for improving mental muscle tone and greater well-being. Guest experts include a diverse and proactive collection of the greatest thinkers and doers who are devoting their lives to creating a better world in which to live. Your host, Lisa Cypress Kamen, is a widely recognized applied positive psychology coach, author, documentary filmmaker, and lecturer specializing in the fields of sustainable happiness, mindfulness, and positive lifestyle management. Let's get to it. Here's Lisa. Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, wherever you are. Welcome to Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio, broadcasting consciously prepared brain food from the beaches of Malibu, California. Each week, we explore the very serious business of happiness, sustainable well-being, and human flourishing. We are not talking about that annoying yellow smiley face. No, no, no. We are talking about something much deeper and critical to the success of humanity. Authentic happiness is not selfish, egotistical, or narcissistic. In fact, it is essential in order for humankind to thrive. Sustainable happiness is important because it not only elevates our own well-being locally, but also contributes to collective global flourishing. The achievement of a happy life is not only positively good for us, it is constructively good for those around us. In short, happiness matters. Happiness comes from the heart, and this show is most definitely all about the heart. All righty then, let's get to it. Today's show is an HHTR flashback favorite. We're talking about bodies in action, making strength-building and soul-sustaining food choices. And my first guest today was a conversation that took place with Rebecca Scritchfield in April of 2017. Let's join that conversation. Rebecca Scritchfield is a well-being coach, registered dietitian, nutritionist, and certified health and fitness specialist. Through her weight-neutral body-kindness practice, she helps people create a better life with workable, interesting self-care goals. She has influenced millions through her writing, podcast, and appearances in over 100 media outlets. Welcome, Rebecca Scritchfield. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, it is a pleasure to talk about body-kindness with you because as women, a lot of us really struggle with this. Oh, yes. Most of my life uh, has been a struggle with my body, but I'm, I'm in the best place I've ever been. And I am so happy to um, have this book as a resource that will hopefully help others um, who have been where I have been. And really, the book talks about focusing on body positivity, changing the relationship that we have with our bodies. And I would probably guess inhabiting our bodies, living in the body. Yes, absolutely. Um, The idea of embodiment and just embracing yourself exactly as you are right now um, in order to think about the kind of person you want to be. So it's not about your appearance. Um, And certainly we can, um, you know, show our body parts gratitude and show our body gratitude and still want to change um, our habits and our choices. But when we set the goal to be to change our bodies, it's, 
not positive, it's not helpful, and it actually doesn't really lead to long-term health habits. So what I'm trying to do in the book is help people separate the two and say, you know, even if you want to make improvements, even if you are struggling accepting yourself, the best way to create a better life is by working with the person you are now and then, you know, using the science of behavior change and habits to create the kind of life you want. I get it. I I hear you, and I and I applaud you for doing this. This is something that we all need to learn more of. So we're in a new year. Many of us um, pledge to make New Year's resolutions. Keeping them is often challenging. And from what I glean, your approach is somewhat different. It's not about th- that New Year's resolution or the resolution. It's really about becoming more friendly with yourself and not shaming yourself. Yes. Uh, you know, I, I say you can't hate yourself healthy, you know, and so the, the, the quickest way to lose your motivation is by beating yourself up all the time and being so hard on yourself. So in the book, I refer to them as, as thought bullies, you know, and um, I help people understand that we have helpful thoughts and we have unhelpful thoughts. And sometimes our unhelpful thoughts can be particularly critical and harsh um, to the point where they feel like that bully on the playground. And, um, and, and part of what I will do in the book is help people understand um, how you can handle your thoughts so that you don't, you know, you can't really engage with a bully. Um, and so how to, how to better um, handle those thoughts so that they don't sabotage your true intentions to take really good care of yourself. And so many people just want those thoughts to go away. And I mean, trust me, I wish I knew the magic to make them go away. But once I accepted that I could not control my thoughts, but that I could choose how to respond, that just opened up so much empowerment and positivity so that I could stay focused on what really mattered. And it's a kind of a crucial um, part of how you practice body kindness. You know, the, 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 the words you just used, thought bully, I love that. And we all have a bully. Perhaps there are many of them that are, are embedded in our brains. You know, I call it the, the, the FM radio station that's implanted at birth. You know, the chorus mm-hmm. that is out there to undermine <laughs> us. <laughs> we all have it. Um, that's all you can't get out of your head. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, 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 it really is a challenge for everybody. You know, there's not one human being, male or female, regardless of age, that doesn't have this inner critic that pipes up at times mm-hmm. that has the ability to take us out. Mm-hmm. Not, yeah, not good. So I'm, I'm, um, I'm a huge. I'm so grateful that there is, uh, you know, I'm seeing a growing trend and body positivity movement. You know, but one of the things that I that I challenge with it is, you know, I, I don't know how you feel, but I feel like I've seen too many pictures of that happy woman jumping in the field of daisies. That's just like, whoa, just love yourself, baby. And and I appreciate <laughs> the intention of that. But sometimes we have a moment, you know, where we don't love ourselves and it feels um, ingenuine, right, to, to, to just slather, okay, love myself, love myself, love myself. It doesn't feel right. And so one of the things that I also want to let people know is it's okay to have 
you know, a moment or an entire day where you just notice that you're picking on yourself, you're not being very kind to yourself. But the second you notice and you just say, hey, this is okay that I'm feeling this way, but what's the next choice that matters? You know, you don't have to fake positivity and happiness. It will come back to you if you're honest with how you're feeling in that moment. And then you just make the next best choice that's going to help you um, feel a little bit better. You know, I think this is really important to touch upon going back to happiness and, and positivity and not mm-hmm. thinking yourself into that mindset, because I think this is mm-hmm. a misconception that many people have about positivity, the positive psychology movement, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. What, what I believe we're really talking about is that when we do things that are good for us, when we do things mm-hmm. that bring goodness to ourselves and bring goodness to others. The byproduct of that is a higher level of well-being. That's the reward. Mm-hmm. That's the gift. Mm-hmm. We just have to wait for that. You know, we're so um, wired to for that immediate gratification, right? So, you know, it's it's so tempting. It, it, it's always going to be the easier choice to, you know, you come home from work and you're tired and you would plan to work out and just to, you know, to, to, to skip it because that's the more comfortable and the easier choice. But there is a longer term reward, a well-being reward, a happiness reward, a better sleep reward, a better mood reward that would come to you if you actually made the harder choice, which is to do, you know, some type of movement, even if you alter it, right? And it's, you know, you planned a 90-minute yoga class and you know that's not going to happen, but even some stretching or a little bit of home yoga is better than that sort of easy choice of just let me take that immediate reward and put my feet up and and go to bed. You know, it, it would be better for your well-being to stay committed to your exercise habit and then, you know, experience that all those longer term benefits that you're looking for. We are talking about Rebecca Scritchfield's book, Body Kindness, Transform Your Health from the Inside Out and Never Say Diet Again. Rebecca, we're going to go to break in a minute, but when we come back, I'd love to get into the book because it's, it is based on four parts or four elements that can help us be more kind to our bodies and ourselves. But you um, talk about the, the, the cycle that we put ourselves through, you know, that the diet cycle, the exercise cycle that really can be quite torturous for some of us and very restrictive. And your approach is a little bit different. Yeah. Um, well, I've learned from my mistakes. That's the, that's the best thing I could say. I actually thanked them in the acknowledgments in the book um, because I really do believe that um, through my own years of dieting, I mean, I started when I was 12. I even, I dieted with my mom and and, and I do believe that, that we were just trying to help each other. But, yeah. you know, we called it healthy. It was very twisted because it wasn't, it was body focus and weight focus and, you know, rewarding ourselves for how much we were depriving ourselves. And, and um, you know, it took me years to learn and figure it out that really health is, like you say, it's about your well-being. You know, it's not just physical health. And once I finally got it and things clicked, my life was never better. And um, it, it, I changed everything I do with my clients and their lives were never better. And it just, I just felt a strong call to share this with the world and really try to merge um, 
what we know from the positive psychology research, what we know about behavior change and habits, and what we know about nutrition and fitness, but so much of it is presented as dieting and deprivation, and just flip that and combine all this great knowledge into hopefully a tool um, that people find useful to really design the kind of life that they, that they want and they were meant to have. We are going to jump off for a break, and when we come back, we'll carry on the discussion with Rebecca Scritchfield and the book Body Kindness. To learn more, please visit bodykindnessbook.com. On Twitter, you can find Rebecca at Scritchfield RD, and on Facebook, Rebecca uh, dot or period Scritchfield, and uh, also Scritchfield RD. Let's head out to the break. We'll be right back, and that's a promise. Wait, wait, wait. Before we go to the break, I want to talk with you about the joys of healthy eating. One of my go-to happy snacks is created by today's show sponsor, RX Bar. RX Bar believes in the power of transparency and lets the core ingredients do all the talking with them all listed on the front of the packaging. Each bar contains delicious whole food ingredients like egg whites, fruits, nuts, unsweetened chocolate, and spices like sea salt or cinnamon that add big taste to every bite. It's clean and simple nutrition that's portable and great for our busy lifestyles. RX Bar comes in 14 delicious flavors, including sweet, savory, chocolate, or fruit. There's definitely an RX Bar with your name on it. My personal favorite is peanut butter chocolate. There's no added sugar, gluten, soy, artificial flavors, preservatives, or fillers. This means yummy, clean, and nutritious fuel in every bite. And here's the best part. As a listener of Harvesting Happiness, you'll receive 25% off your first order. Visit rxbar.com slash harvestinghappiness and be sure to enter the promo code harvestinghappiness at checkout. Once again, that's rxbar.com slash harvestinghappiness and don't forget that promo code harvestinghappiness. Now here comes the break. We'll be right back and that's a promise. We know that life can be tough and that happiness can and does live alongside adversity. Connect with us on Facebook at Harvesting Happiness and follow Lisa on Twitter at Lisa Kamen for a daily dose of inspiration. We'll be right back after this quick break. Do you find yourself saying things like, I'll be happy when, or I'll be happy if? Does the finish line for happiness keep moving? Does the bar keep getting higher? What's getting in the way of your happiness right now? Too much going on? Working too much? Not working enough? Having too many responsibilities? Not having enough money, enough time, enough space? The list goes on and on. It becomes difficult to see all that we have if we focus on scarcity. One thing I know for certain, happiness waits for no one. And sometimes we all need support. Are We Happy Yet? is not another self-help book. It's a guidebook for learning how to harvest happiness through self-mastery, which is the key ingredient into building resilience, hardiness, grit, and emotional stability. Are We Happy Yet? Eight Keys to Unlocking a Joyful Life is available at Barnes & Noble, Amazon, IndieBound, and HarvestingHappiness.com. Each day, we get to choose how we are going to show up for life. And at times, we need tips for strengthening our well-being. Learn training strategies for greater emotional fitness and improved mental muscle tone at HarvestingHappiness.com. 
Welcome back to Harvesting Happiness, flashback favorite. Let's return to the conversation with Rebecca Scritchfield that originally took place in April of 2017. Rebecca, prior to the break, we were talking about um, the mistakes that you've made along the way and how they have helped you transform your life, how they have um, influenced your career and how you help people. Let's talk a little bit about the book and the inspirational parts of it that teach us how to love ourselves in a more practical, kind way. Sure. Well, um, I'm very grateful to uh, clients and, and, and family members and friends who have shared their personal stories and experiences and have allowed me to share that with everyone else because I think one of the most beneficial ways we can all learn is from each other and story has such a strong power to really help us you know, teach us and help us embrace and understand, um, you know, the quote, you know, lesson that is part of the book, too. Um, so that's one thing I'm really proud of is that um, it's written in a conversational way, like like you're talking with me. Um, you know, you really feel like you know uh, the, the, the examples of the people that are in the story. And, and, and the idea is, is that hopefully you can relate to something they went through. And then there's cues throughout the book um, for your own reflection work and activities. So in fact, I encourage everyone in the very beginning to buy their own journal. I love a nice pretty journal and nice, you know, crisp, you know, doesn't have to be crazy expensive, but you know, a nice little treat of, of a um pen, um, and you just can take it with you throughout reading the book, Um, and these activities that I offer are called Spiral Ups, and it's this idea of that when we're pursuing body kindness, we are trying to boost our mood and energy through the daily choices we make, and um, when we notice ourselves maybe kind of not on track, it's usually this downward spiral situation where maybe a poor night's sleep leads to lack of energy to put into your um, um, eating or exercise or you just your mood is off and that when you notice these downward spirals happening, when you practice a little bit of self-compassion and say, you know, this is okay, I understand what's going on, I'm going to take care of myself tonight, but in the meantime, these are my goals, this is what's important to me to have a good day today. That can help prevent a lot of self-sabotage that usually ends up uh, making us feel guilty um, or even more disappointed in how we're doing at taking care of ourselves. So in the book, you bring up four points that body Mm -hmm. kindness relates to, one, what you do, two, how you Mm -hmm. feel, three, who you are, and four, where you belong. Let's talk a little bit about what you do, because this really is about the choices that you just spoke of. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Well, I wanted to people, people to understand the power of choice. Right. So um, our solution, our answer for our better life is never going to be in some, you know, rigid plan that says this is our 30 day sugar detox. It's like, what do you do day 31 when you have a <laughs> learned habit? You might have learned a couple new recipes and hey, that's great, you know, but you've got to learn how to make choices um, about eating. Uh, so I really wanted people to see that it's your choices that really add up to habit. Um, and I actually separated out just the idea of choice because we don't really understand how our minds work. And so in that first chapter, you're going to get a better understanding of, of um, why we're so prone to 
following what our friends are doing and how it's important to make pause and make the choice that is right for us, um, how we can get sabotaged by having too many options. Like, I mean, I can't remember that I've never seen so many choices of eggs and yogurt in the grocery store aisle. That if you're looking for the one that has the best protein and lowest sugar and this and that, you know, it's, it, it can overwhelm you fast. Um, so I really wanted, you know, people to get a grip on just how they can better work with their minds on making choices. And then, of course, because this is a health and well-being book, the next chapters that follow um, are their own chapters about food, fitness, and sleep. Um, because these three choices we make on a daily basis, and they all impact each other. So getting so, enough sleep. Sorry, go ahead. No, no, I, I, I don't want to cut you off, but I want to get to all of these points so our listeners know what's in store in the book and they can run out and buy it. So in addition to what we do, um, you also talk about what we feel. Yes. So in this part, the goal here is to help everyone understand that all of our emotions are beneficial, even our negative emotions. And um, it was very eye-opening to me when I learned that my emotional eating that I struggled with for years was triggered, triggered by high-intensity negative emotions that I didn't want to feel. <laughs> and so as I learned how to accept these bad emotions and um, almost treat them like friends, that they were there to give me information, then I could better make choices to avoid downward spirals. So that entire section is dedicated to help you embrace all of your emotions, understand them, and work with them. It's just different parts of you that are trying to guide you. Um, and then throughout that section, you'll learn how to spiral up with your emotions. It could be anything around sticking with your food goals and, and exercise goals and all those things that are important to you. And you know, rationally are very important to your well-being, but sometimes they're difficult to execute when your emotions are off kilter. You know, I think that's really important to, to talk about. And, and, and here are two other things that I, I want to add to that uh, point mm-hmm. is that one, we are not our emotions. And number two, we're not even our thoughts. And mm-hmm. we tend to believe the other way around. We tend to believe that our thoughts and our emotions are actually leading the way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And that we don't have control over it, you know, especially when we have fear, right? So when we feel some form of fear, you know, we stop thinking rationally. So we get scared. We stop thinking rationally. We feel like we're losing our sense of agency. You know, it's not about trying to control your thoughts or feelings. It's about trying to adapt to them with some self-compassion, trying to stay engaged with, okay, what's the next the next best thing for me right now Um, because what you really want to do might not be accessible but what you feel you can do that you know is better um, that's that's just where you need to go one foot in front of the other (laughs) exactly and acknowledge what is you know what what I'm suggesting Mm -hmm. is not to minimize the feelings or minimize the thought but acknowledge that they are fleeting we in fact we have between Mm -hmm. 60,000 and 70,000 thoughts a day and the ones that seem to stick are the ones that trouble us it's not actually mm-hmm. the stuff that brings us up, up happiness. It's we stick to mm-hmm. the negative because of the brain's negativity bias. Mm. It's crazy. Gosh, I you really know? want to learn more about that. But, but, but um, because, yeah, I know that, that the, um, when I could finally tap into what triggered my emotional eating the most, I had this vision and it was like I was 
you know, almost like on this desert ground, kind of like Grand Canyon, and I could feel the earth shaking below me, and it was when the ground was splitting and I might fall in that it was like, eh, you know, and, and, and when I could paint that picture and feel what that felt like, it kind of made sense how intense and how scary it was, but I just learned, you know, ooh, that feeling, boom, you know, go to something. Yep. And, you know, yep. it wasn't always the large volumes of food, but it was a complete distraction for my discomfort, learning how to feel uncomfortable and still make a conscious choice, which to be honest, sometimes it was to eat a little bit of food, but it would be one piece of buttered toast at the table with my feet up and an herbal tea, not, you know, the box of cereal. So yeah. I, I what about the third point? Rebecca, I, I don't want to, I don't want to sure. cut you off, but we are, we've sure. got, only got a couple more minutes and I really want to okay. get through these points because I want to get our cool. listeners excited yeah. about your book because body sure. kindness works. So the third point cool. is who you are. Yes. So this briefly is just about setting values-driven goals. So I will take you through what a good goal is and is not. Um, and you get more thoughts and feelings stuff. But it's really um, thinking about uh, trying to complete the sentence, I want to be the kind of person who. And then you start to come up with these actions that you could take. And some are short-term goals and long-term goals. And then that's going to segue you into creating body kind of blueprints, which are very useful tools you can do weekly that help you plan and schedule. Because we've got to work with our own time constraints and budget constraints. And and, and um, these tools help you focus um, so it's um, very simple with your use of time. So you put the in time investment in early on, then week to week to week, you're going to be very efficient at planning your self-care routines. And finally, the last point is where you belong. And we are going to have to allow our listeners to discover that in your book, Body Kindness, Transform Your Health from the Inside Out and Never Say Diet Again. My guest has been Rebecca Scritchfield. And to learn more about her work and the book, please visit RebeccaScritchfield.com. On Twitter, you can find her at at RD, and on Facebook, Rebecca.Scritchfield. So Rebecca, thank you for being with us to learn more about Rebecca Scritchfield and her book, Body Kindness, Transform Your Health from the Inside Out and Never Say Diet Again. Please visit her at bodykindnessbook.com, on Twitter at ScritchfieldRD, and on Facebook, Rebecca.Scritchfield. We're going to take that quick pause. Here comes the break. We'll be right back. Nothing gives happiness like a free gift. Unwrap your present by signing up for Happiness Headlines, our monthly e-zine at HarvestingHappiness.com. Stay tuned for more after the break. One thing I know for certain, happiness waits for no one, and sometimes we all need support. We all have the freedom to be happy or the liberty to be miserable each day, regardless of external circumstance. Sure, things will inevitably happen in our lives that are out of our control. There is only ever one thing that is totally within our control, ourselves. When we have command of ourselves, we are better prepared to handle life and bounce back more quickly when challenges arise. Whether you see the glass as half empty or half full, the glass has the capacity to hold more. You have the capacity to be happier. The tool to harvesting your happiness is within your grasp. Are we happy yet? Eight Keys to Unlocking a Joyful Life is available at Barnes & Noble, Amazon, IndieBound, 
and HarvestingHappiness.com. Each day we get to choose how we are going to show up for life, and at times we need tips for strengthening our well-being. Learn training strategies for greater emotional fitness and improved mental muscle tone at HarvestingHappiness.com. Welcome back to an HHTR flashback favorite, focusing on bodies in action, making strength building and soul sustaining food choices. My next guest is Dr. Drew Ramsey, and this conversation originally aired in 2014. Let's have a listen. Today, October 1st, is National Kale Day. And why is that important to my next guest? And why should it be important to all of us? We're going to tell you. Dr. Drew Ramsey is a psychiatrist, author, and farmer. He is one of psychiatry's leading proponents of using dietary change to help balance moods, sharpen brain function, and improve mental health. Amen to that. He is an assistant clinical professor of psychiatry at Columbia University College of Physicians and Surgeons in New York City. His clinical work focuses on the treatment of depression and anxiety. Using the latest brain science and nutritional research, modern treatments, and an array of delicious food, he aims to help people live to their happiest, healthiest lives. His work in writing on food and brain health has been featured by the New York Times, the Wall Street Journal, the Huffington Post, Prevention, NPR, The Atlantic, Self, The Doctor's Show, and on and on and on. His recent bestseller, entitled Fifty Shades of Kale, which we're going to get into in a minute, um, was followed by his, uh, his first book, is The Happiness Diet, a nutritional prescription for a sharp brain, balanced mood, and lean, energized body. Welcome, Dr. Ramsey. I love that you're into kale. Thank you. I, I hear a rumor you're into kale, too. Oh, my. I am, I am a kale fiend, especially kale chips. So we're, we're, we're going to have fun here. Well, it's a great honor to be speaking with you on National Kale Day, our, our second uh, big event. And, and around the country, thousands, millions, actually, of, of people are eating kale. Millions of people are eating kale, and I am proud to say that I am the mother of two kale-eating teenagers. How about that? I think that is, I think that is great and, um, and not that uncommon because kids actually, if you do it right, really do like kale. As you say, the kale chip is your favorite, and that is a great way to get kids and teenagers to eat more kale. So let's talk about how we can better manage our mood and our emotions through what we are putting in our mouths. Well, the first is I think the basic commitment and agreement that mood and anxiety, how we feel about ourselves really stem from the brain. That lots of things influence our brain and the thing that we have the most control over is the food that we eat every single day. And so you can actually Eat food that helps your brain be wired in a way that is more optimistic, that's less prone to depression, that's less anxious. By picking the foods that, that one of the things great about the food work is, is that I am of an opinion, most people know the right stuff to eat for their mental health. Well, you know, we had a, a, a doctor on some, some weeks back who was talking about culinary medicine. And I think this is a fairly new uh, specialty, you know, how we really can use food to make us better, to make us function optimally. Although trainers have been saying it for years, nutritionists have been saying it for years. What is the shift in medicine now that is enabling 
people like yourselves to raise this kind of awareness? Well, I would argue that it's a shift back because we have to remember Hippocrates said, let thy food be thy medicine and thy medicine be thy food. And, and so there has been a tremendous interest um, in both mental health and in general health around culinary medicine or the idea that, that really when we want to influence the trajectory of someone in their health, the best place for us to start are in these lifestyle factors, um, like helping people eat uh, a, a diet that is much more based in whole foods than the Western diet that the majority of Americans currently eat. Let's talk about what that means, because we can, you know, speak in a in a hypothetical world. You know, we should eat a good diet, but what does that really mean? Uh, yeah, you know, eating, eating great, foods that we can yeah, pronounce. It's a <laughs> great know? question. So that's that's one of the basic rules. One of my basic rules. So I prescribe food to every patient that I work with. I do a complete dietary assessment, and it's not that complicated, right? What that looks like are foods that have one thing on the ingredient list, like lentils, salmon, almonds apples, right? Simple, whole, natural foods designed by Mother Nature. As I say, designed for your health, not for the shelf. Um, and really, when I look at um, uh, a patient's diet, uh, there are several things that stand out or the patterns that stand out that are missing, right? And so often missing are seafood. That's where we get those omega-3 fats. We get lots of vitamin B12. So things, not just wild salmon, but anchovies, sardines, mussels, clams, oysters. I'm always trying to have people eat more of those. And then crunchy vegetables like our favorite kale and helping people incorporate that into their diet. Really, it's not, a lot of people know they should eat more kale, but one of the reasons we wrote Fifty Shades of Kale is I would tell patients about kale and they'd say, oh, this sounds great. What do I do with it? And if you don't know what to do with kale, it can be a kind of unpleasant experience. And kale done well is is bliss. <laughs> is total bliss. You know that you know the feeling of that you know crispy, light, just delicious kale chip. Add it in a smoothie. Um, when we talk about sort of another rule of eating for brain health, and one of the reasons kale is such a great example is a concept called nutrient density, and that's where we're trying to get people to stop counting calories and start counting nutrients. So. It allows you to focus on foods that give you the best bang for the buck. And a great example of that, of course, is kale. One cup, just 33 calories. You get, you know, 10 to 15 essential vitamins and minerals and in big doses, right? Just a cup of kale has more than 600% of your daily need of vitamin K and more than 100% of your daily need of vitamin C. So for not a lot of calories, you get lots and lots of nutrition. And let's go back for a second to what you were talking about, um, fish and seafood and the omega-3s. And let's, if we could explain a little bit to the listening audience about what these kinds of um, supplements, or not supplements because they're not supplements, it's the, it's the real food, but what these attributes of the food do for our mood and for our brains. Exactly. So, we, so for a long time, fat was thought to be the enemy, and that, that is not true. One reason is that your brain is mainly made of fat, and it has very high concentrations of these very special, very long fats called omega-3 fats. And you find them really mainly in fish and seafood. You find a plant-based version in things like flax and walnuts, uh, but in terms of the long-chain omega-3 fats, EPA and DHA is what they're called, they get into their, our brains, they get into the brain cell, and they actually incorporate themselves into the brain cell membrane and the easiest way to put it this is the brain cells just work a little better. They're just a little more efficient. They're a little more flexible. They survive longer. When we look at them in the test tube and you have omega-3 fats, they're just like tougher brain cells. And so that's one way omega-3s help us. Another way they help our brain is they actually coax new brain cells to be born. This is a very 
sort of exciting new science over the last 10 years that the adult human brain gives birth to new brain cells, a process called neurogenesis. And we know that omega-3s encourage that. So, and on top of that, they're just very, what are called anti-inflammatory molecules. That, that inflammation is a buzzword in medicine these days. It's that basically a process by which we deal with stress and maybe kind of have too much of a physiological response. So omega-3s help to kind of tamper that down. And do the omega-3s help with mood? I mean, do they help with our energy, with our memory? Yes. So uh, they can, and they certainly do. Certainly people who don't have a lot of omega omega-3s in their diet are much more prone to get depressed or get demented. Um, actually, DHA, the longest omega-3 fat, it is a direct uh, predictor of how fast your brain is going to shrink. So if you don't have a lot of DHA, your brain shrinks faster over time than if you have a lot of that in your diet. But it's certainly, we use, uh, I use omega-3s in my practice all the time to treat depression and anxiety. It can be very helpful to some patients. There are even some studies showing um, efficacy that's close to the traditional antidepressants. Uh, so, and then for someone out there, I think the first step is to take an omega-3 supplement if you have some concerns about your mood or your focus. Um, it's to start eating more fish, and particularly these small fish we're talking about, so you're not getting a lot of mercury, but you're getting a lot of omega-3s, anchovies, sardines, wild salmon, clams, mussels, oysters. And you make a very good point because the mercury has been reported to mess with our memories. So we yeah, yeah. Mer mercury is a neurotoxin. I mean, it's just it's it's a you know it's nasty stuff, and, and unfortunately, that discourages a lot of people from seafood, particularly pregnant women, to the point that the USDA just just revised their guidelines. Uh, pregnant women are so scared of mercury that they're not eating enough fish. And we know that women who eat more fish, there, there's actually one study that even showed women who consumed a reasonable amount of fish during their diet, their kids had about eight to 10 extra IQ points. So. Wow. So it's, I mean, it really is a brain food. And when we talk about, um, you know, feeding ourselves for a positive mood or feeding ourselves for happiness, I think one of the things that I take away certainly from our conversation is that that we don't need to necessarily take a supplement out of a bottle, that if we're eating a balanced diet and feeding ourselves well with these foods that create balance within our bodies, that the need to take bottled supplementation is reduced. That doesn't mean we don't need to take supplements, but we're getting a lot from what's on our plate. I would say uh, that is 100% right. And the majority of supplements that Americans take um, uh, probably is a big waste of money. Uh, that a lot of people take supplements in, in hopes of achieving health when, as I like to say, we didn't even know there were vitamins until 1912, just over 100 years ago. And before that point, there, were a, there was a lot of human happiness. There was a lot of smiles, a lot of happiness in the history of the world. We had no idea about minerals and vitamins. People ate well. They felt happiness. They felt joy. So we, we don't need a supplement. Um, and, and I also... One of my concerns when people just kind of turn to a supplement is that it, it obscures all the other ways that food makes us happy besides the nutrients, who you get your food from, shaking your hand, shaking the hand of a farmer at your farmer's market who grew your food, uh, cooking your food together. This is one of the nicest times that my family and I have is when we get to cook a meal and then sit down and share it together. I'm happy and smiling. It's not because there's lots of omega-3s on my plate. It's because I'm having that very human experience of sharing and enjoying food. 
you know, you make an excellent point. We're going to go to a break in a minute. And when we come back, we're going to talk about the need for communion and being connected with others when we eat food, what it does for us. But as we go to break, Dr. Ramsey, would you do me a favor and just rattle off two or three or four or ten, depending on when our dear producer cuts us off, happy foods? Yeah, so here are my top happy foods. I love to prescribe nuts for people. Almonds and walnuts and cashews is a great snack. Love it when you start your day with a whole pasture-raised egg in the morning. Um, Absolutely love the berries. And then, of course, kale, lentils, uh, those seafoods we've talking about. And I even think there's a great way to do meat if you go with a pasture-raised beef, a grass-fed beef, and, and, and weave that into your diet. It's a great way that red meat can actually be healthy. Wonderful. We're going to come back in a minute, and when we do, we'll carry on the conversation with Dr. Drew Ramsey. To learn more, please visit drdrewramseymd.com. On Facebook, he is at drewramseymd, and on Twitter, guess what? drewramseymd as well. Let's head out to the break. We'll be right back, and that's a promise. Who says money can't buy happiness? Check out Lisa's new book, Are We Happy Yet? Eight Keys to Unlocking a Joyful Life and other fun, fashionable, and inspiring items at shophappy at harvestinghappiness.com. We'll be right back after this quick break. Do you find yourself saying things like, I'll be happy when, or I'll be happy if? Does the finish line for happiness keep moving? Does the bar keep getting higher? What's getting in the way of your happiness right now? Too much going on, working too much, not working enough, having too many responsibilities, not having enough money, enough time, enough space. The list goes on and on. It becomes difficult to see all that we have if we focus on scarcity. One thing I know for certain, happiness waits for no one. And sometimes we all need support. Are We Happy Yet? is not another self-help book. It's a guidebook for learning how to harvest happiness through self-mastery, which is the key ingredient into building resilience, hardiness, grit, and emotional stability. Are We Happy Yet? Eight Keys to Unlocking a Joyful Life is available at Barnes & Noble, Amazon, IndieBound, and HarvestingHappiness.com. Each day, we get to choose how we are going to show up for life. And at times, we need tips for strengthening our well-being. Learn training strategies for greater emotional fitness and improved mental muscle tone at HarvestingHappiness.com. Let's rejoin my conversation with Dr. Drew Ramsey that originally aired in 2014. My guest on the air right now is Dr. Drew Ramsey, MD. He is the author of two very cool books. One is The Happiness Diet, and most recently, 50 Shades of Kale. That's right, ladies and gentlemen. Today, October 1st, is National Kale Day, and we are celebrating in the house here because I am a kale fiend, and no one knew that until today. <laughs> I'm, I'm glad we've outed you. Uh, you've outed me. I have come out of the kale closet telling you that I live near an agricultural area and we get the most divine fresh kale where I live really cheap. So we are a kale chip household. 
Well, that's and, and and that's one of the great attributes of kale. I mean, national kale. We're we're thrilled to be talking with you and celebrating today around the country. People are eating kale. We have every New York City public school is serving a kale salad today. So that's 1.1 million kids who will be offered kale. We estimate that they will serve between 300 and 400 thousand kale salads. And so it's a very exciting day for us. Um, we have hospitals that are growing kale on their roof. We have workshops all around the country. And for any listener out there who wants to get involved, first of all, the easiest way is to show us your kale by posting on Twitter or Facebook um, with hashtag KaleDay2014. And the other way is we have a free Kale Hero Toolkit. It's available for download on nationalkaleday.org. It has recipes, lesson plans, signs, infographics, everything you need to have a great day celebrating kale wow what a great plug it's nice when that when the guests do their own plug i love it you're fabulous well, dr well, ramsey thank you i've been promoting kale for a while and why the simple three rules of kale teach you everything you need to know about eating for food and mental health and that's why i love kale so much it teaches us the rule of nutrient density that we we're talking about earlier it teaches us about culinary versatility right what other food can you think of that you can make a smoothie or a salad you can make a chip you can do a quick saute, you can add it to mac and cheese, uh, you can have a cocktail out of kale. I mean, there are all kinds of wonderful and creative ways to use kale. And the third is that the accessibility and the economy, just what you were mentioning a moment ago, Lisa, that you can get kale anywhere in America. We don't have to ship it all over the world. It grows everywhere and it's really inexpensive. Two or three bucks, you get a big bunch of kale. So that's why we love kale. Kale is awesome. Let's talk about the importance of communion. And what I mean by communion is gathering with friends and family, sitting down to a meal and actually talking. You know, what does that do to our mood? What does that do to the way we eat our food, how we digest our food, and the long-term impact um, when we leave that dinner table, what we're taking with us? Well, the brain is an organ of connection, right? There are, there are billions and billions of connections in your brain. And I, and I like to think that that provides a simple lesson for us, that, that when we are connected to one another, to our food, to our community, we're just happier beings and happier organisms. And we just, we see reports of that over and over again, whether it be in the scientific literature or just talking to someone and we all experience it. When I sit down or you sit down and we have a meal with a friend, it, and it's it's a nice conversation and we enjoy and respect and pay attention to the food we just feel better and, and a lot of times when i work with people with depression that's really one of the first things i try and attack is the sense of social isolation of not feeling that you're part of something uh, not feeling that you're part of a community because that is just absolutely devastating to the human psyche Indeed, and there's also one other thing that we should talk about as it relates to eating disorders, which we, we talked about in, in the previous segments on the show, that when we really mindfully feed and nourish ourselves with, with love and, and, and awareness, something happens to the mood, something happens to the way we process, and I think it's a little cliche, you know, the way I'm saying it, but I think you understand where, where I'm going with this, that there is a, a, a process of understanding that what we're putting in our mouths um, is, is a self-honoring experience. If we, if we feed ourselves junk, our mood is going to be junky. Yeah, and I think you're, you're speaking, in, and I don't think it's actually that cliche, I mean, we're, we're speaking about this notion of self-care. And that, that it, to really feel your best and be your healthiest, you could be exercising and doing yoga and eating lots of wild salmon and kale, but if you're not nourishing yourself intentionally and if you are not involved in, in a kind of bigger purpose in a bigger group, 
I think you're going to feel lower and I think you're going to feel more isolated than if you were more engaged. So I, I think this is where I see a lot of people struggle about just not having a goal or an intention or a plan in terms of nourishing themselves with food. Well, you live in New York City, and a lot of people are really struggling um, in the hustle and bustle of the city to connect. What are some of the things that people who are living in, in highly urbanized environments can do to get them to feel more connected with the land, with themselves? You know, I have a few go-to tips, right? My first tip is always structure, especially when people are feeling down, is that, you know, join something that gives you structure, sort of like exercise. You go with a partner. I have, a, I have a, my best friend and I work out together. Boy, I exercise so much more because I have that commitment to meet him. So it's where I try and get people engaged in a class and something fun, like a cooking class, a language class, a book club. Um, uh, I try really to promote people uh, getting involved with nature. It sounds surprising here in New York City, but this morning at, at 7.30 a.m., I was standing in the middle of the woods in Central Park, completely by myself, with my young son strapped to me, listening to the birds. Yeah, so, it, 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 and that's an intentional choice to get out there and enjoy nature, uh, because I know how good it makes me feel. I grew up on a farm, and I know that if I don't spend some time in nature and get some kind of, you know, uh, grass under my feet, I tend to get a little more oh, wonky and, and my mood goes a little sideways. So I was gonna I was gonna just chime in here about the farm. You are a farm boy. So tell us about your farm experience and what you do each year when you go back there. Yeah, so we've really worked very hard to, to do a farm sabbatical, to, to go back every August. Uh, we, my family and, and my wife and I, we have 137 acres in southern Indiana that we've been farming for about 30 years. We're not a giant kale farm. Some people think that. We mainly farm for ourselves and, and try and grow food um, and have a, a good a good crop of pollinators. We've got some beehives, so we hope, hope to help the local the local community with, with some pollination. Um, and have just really tried to be good stewards of the land. That, that's been fundamental to me in my development uh, as a physician and, and a clinician interested in helping people feel their best. Um, it's funny, I was a vegetarian throughout medical school. I'm not a vegetarian now, but uh, and throughout residency. And, and somehow, even with all this medical training, there, there really wasn't uh, a clear connection being made in any of my studies between food and health. And as you were saying earlier in the show, there is a real revolution of, of culinary medicine that's happening. Um, uh, we have actually lots of physicians involved with National Kale Day, which is kind of fun. Um, it, because it's not something that, that maybe we would have anticipated years and years ago. But my, my kind of fundamental philosophies about healing and health and happiness, a lot of those lessons stem from the farm and, and my experiences connecting with the land and, and connecting with nature and, and eating whole fresh food and just that experience of, uh, you know, picking something in the garden and having it on your plate 20 minutes later. I mean, it's just uh, uh, an amazing and bountiful gift that food gives us. Indeed it is. Winter is coming, and many of us struggle a bit during the winter with our moods. And I know that um, it, SAD is the acronym for it, and maybe you could give us some tips to prevent what could happen to many of us when uh, the winter starts to roar in. Yeah, so SAD is seasonal affective disorder. This is a, a, a depression that strikes in the winter and um, a kind of a, an extension of what a lot of people experience. Um, and, and so what I see, it, 
the number one thing I see that people struggle with is they forget to transition. The, the winter is not the summer. And so just as we change our wardrobes and we change our clothes and, and our fashion, we also need to change our strategy for keeping well. It's been the summer I've been doing great runs in Central Park. It's been really easy. Uh, that's going to change, right? I have to have a new strategy how to keep my fitness level up because it's going to be cold and icy outside in New York. Same thing with our food. I've been going to the farmer's market and getting lots of fresh veggies. And I need to shift my dietary plan a little bit because it's going to be less of the farmer's market. And so I think the number one thing that I try and work with uh, people to do is have a plan based on really you know how bad your mood gets um, with how you're going to intervene. I think a, a, a great asset in this is, is partnering with a mental health clinician, be they a, a psychiatrist or a social worker or a psychologist, um, someone who can kind of walk with you side by side, make sure it doesn't get too bad and also have some more advanced school tools if you're feeling down does get bad. And then there are a couple of great easy resources. One uh, colleague at Columbia, uh, Michael Turman, is one of the experts on what's called chronobiology, which is the study of, of light and its effect on the mood. And he, um, he has a, a website, CET.org, and has everything you need to know about light boxes. And light boxes are a really effective treatment for seasonal affective disorder. The other tip that everybody probably knows is make sure and get your vitamin D level checked. The vitamin D levels is an evolving story. The science really is not as solid as people sometimes think. Um, but we do know that vitamin D levels are just chronically low in America. I mean, it's shocking. Um, we will hit deficiency rates of 99% in some populations. So get your wow. vitamin D level checked. And what is, is that, do you think, because we've become phobic of the sun, because um, skin cancer has done such a, you know, a good job to tell us stay out of the sun or block the sun, that we're, it's just not being absorbed by our bodies enough? Or is it solely diet? Well, no, it's not diet, actually. You don't get much vitamin D from your diet. You, you make, um, so for example, when you're in the sun, you get just a little bit red, you've made about 30,000 international units of vitamin D. And vitamin D you make from cholesterol. Uh, so uh, you make most of it in your skin, and you're right. Part of it is that we're not outside anymore. Part of it is that we are outside. We're, we're slathered in, in uh, suntan lotion. And just SPF 15 blocks 99% of vitamin D production. So the dermatologist will tell you, hey, don't go in the sun, but take your vitamin D supplement. And and and, and from a dermatological perspective, that, that probably makes some sense. I, I like to get some sun, um, uh, not a lot. I don't get burned, but uh, I think it's. I really think there's a lot to natural vitamin D production that we probably don't know about. Um, but it's just you know. Also, we spend a lot of time inside, and there's been so much migration. Anybody with of any pigment to their skin. If you are living someplace like New York or Boston, you have vitamin D deficiency until proven otherwise. <laughs> I like that. So why don't we just like, what can't like part of the prescription be like, go get five minutes of sun, like, you know, just go out there and, and enjoy it. Just savor that sunshine. A little bit of sun kissing your face is a good thing. Yeah, it feels good for a reason. I mean, no one can deny it. We all walk out there in the sun, and it hits our face, and we close our eyes, and it just feels blissful. And I, I do think there's an important lesson in that for us to remember. It's also, I think the same thing that's happened with sun as I've seen happen with food that really concerns me, which is that we're scared of it. You know, people are scared to eat the wrong food. They're scared to go in the sun. And I really think it's a tragedy when we have these natural sources of health and happiness that you know, now are our source of anxiety and fear. 
We have flown through another hour of purpose-driven media designed to inspire and delight you, our listeners, to create more joy in your lives and within your communities. Here are a few thoughts before we part. Happiness is not a destination. It cannot be bought, sold, or traded. Happiness will never invite you to the party. It simply comes down to a choice to show up each and every day in the world with passion, purpose, place, and meaning. Thanks for joining us on an HHTR flashback favorite. This is Lisa Cypress-Kamen and my guest today, Rebecca Scritchfield and Dr. Drew Ramsey, wishing you kind thoughts, kinder words, and the kindest of actions. Until next time, remember, happiness is an inside job. Happiness is your inside job. Go out and rock your day. Thanks for joining us on Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio with Lisa Cypress-Kamen. Join us each and every Wednesday for a brand new episode of Consciously Curated Talk Radio from the Heart. Keep harvesting your own happiness anytime from the comfort of wherever you are with hundreds of free downloadable podcasts from our libraries on Toginet, iTunes, and SoundCloud. In a complicated world seemingly driven by nonstop negative news, Lisa's mission is to celebrate the upside of life and seek the silver lining of our challenges by transforming them into uplifting growth opportunities for all. To learn more about Lisa's global consulting services, please visit HarvestingHappiness.com. Spread more joy by liking us on Facebook at Harvesting Happiness and following Lisa on Twitter at Lisa Kamen. Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio is produced in collaboration with Toginet Radio, KBUU, RadioMalibu.net, and is available on PRX, the public radio exchange.